0: Good morning, Georgetown Christian. How are you all today? For those of you who do not know me, I'm Aaron Striegel. I've been telling here for a while. And uh, Robin and Chris are on vacation, and so I am preaching for you today. I've had a great weekend. Friday night, my wife and I went to the Yum Center and saw Mercy Me in concert. And my voice is a little weaker today because I was singing and shouting and having a great time with them, but uh, I'm excited to preach today because you are going to receive the word of God. Anytime I get to preach, it's an opportunity to praise God through his word and through the spoken word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. We'll be looking at that passage here in a moment. And the title of my sermon today is, Are We All Victims or Are We Victors? Are We Victims or Are We Victors? One of my colleagues at school told me that his son played this past summer on a Little League baseball team. And he told me the team was actually terrible. He said every kid who could not hit who could not field, who could not run, ended up on the same team. Maybe some of you have been there, I don't know. The team went on not to win a game the entire season. And so some of the parents thought it would be a good idea to go out and purchase trophies for all the boys for, quote, all their hard work. Well, when it came time for the banquet, my friend's son was the first name called to go up to receive his trophy, and he turned to all the parents there and he said, "Do I have to receive this? We didn't win a game all year. We suck as a baseball team." He goes, "I don't want it," and he walked off. One by one, each player came up. They each refused the trophy. Finally, one of the parents who was quite disturbed about all this went up and, and grabbed the microphone at the banquet and said, all of you are victims. You're all victims. You all were put in an unfortunate circumstance and you deserve these trophies. You need to take these trophies now. And the boys refused. They said, I'm not taking it. As a former athlete... I was an athlete who's appeared in Sports Illustrated, Runner's World, nationally ranked as an athlete growing up. Whenever I won, I celebrated, but whenever I lost, I never felt like a victim, ever. I would look at my defeat and say, what can I do differently? What can I do to improve? How can I make this situation better for myself? Maybe I need to lift more weights. Maybe I need to run faster at the beginning of the race. Whatever it was, I was out to have a plan to make sure that I improved. But I never felt like a victim. John Leo, who's a former reporter for the US News and World Report, he wrote the following. We are in the era of the abuse, excuse, victimology. We claim to be a victim, so we're not responsible for our own actions. That's what we're living through right now, folks. You turn on the news, I'm a victim. You read the newspaper, I'm a victim. You go on social media, I'm a victim. We're responsible for our own actions. To claim otherwise is sinful, and the Bible calls our lack of responsibility, our lack of actions to response to Christ as sin. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each one will receive what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. So, in this life, you are responsible for what you do, whether good or evil. That does not make you a victim. But if you have Christ in your life, his blood overshadows your sin once you accept him. And guess what? You're called a son or daughter of Jesus. All right? And you're responsible for your actions, whether you accept him or reject him. That does not make you a victim. It makes you somebody who's being called out by the Holy Spirit. So our actions should not be equated with excuses today. In our scripture here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is preaching to the Jewish people who are being held captive in Babylon. And he's giving them a message from God. But the Jewish people are rejecting it. Let's look what this word says here in Ezekiel 33, starting at verse 18. If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, he will die for it. And if a wicked man turns away from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he will live by doing so. Yet, O house of Israel, you say, the way of the Lord is not just but I will judge each of you according to his own ways. The Jewish people here were basically blaming God for their sin. They were unwilling to repent and go in a different direction, and yet those who were evil, who repented, they were upset about that as well. They were saying, well, the way of the Lord is not just. you got these evil people, and and they've repented. Now you've accepted We're righteous even though we're committing evil acts, you've rejected us. Boy, doesn't that sound like America today? Doesn't that sound like our society? We either blame God for the things that go wrong in our lives and with our own sin, or we have the media who's mocking Christians for our belief systems, and then we take all this stuff and we try to turn it around and then we create something called a, a new spirituality. And we even try to give a name to it in our society today. We try to call it social justice. That's a term you're hearing all the time through the media right now. We try to take out things of God and insert things of man and we twist it around and make it sound really good and we call it social justice. In his new book, We Will Not Be Silenced, which I have read, and I will recommend this book. If you've not read it, you need to get a copy of it and read it. We Will Not Be Silenced, written by Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who's a retired pastor of Moody uh, Bible Church in Chicago. He wrote the following. When people tell you they're working for social justice, you need to ask what they mean. If they define social justice as being advocates for the poor, helping the sick, giving a voice to the marginalized, and working for equal opportunities, these are the responsibilities for all Christians. Amen. But if they mean destroying property, attacking people physically, shaming people through the media, targeting people because of their political or religious views, this is not social justice but anarchy and sin. Amen, Brother Lutzer. I'm glad you put that truth out there because that's exactly what's happening in our society today. Social justice is actually laid out in Scripture what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. In our men's Bible study on Wednesday nights, we are studying the book of James and James tells us how God defines social justice. Look at this scripture with me. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being what? Polluted by the world. Another similar scripture in the Old Testament in Isaiah, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey or robbing the fatherless. Now, most of us would agree, I think, in this room and those who are listening, that we have a responsibility to help widows and orphans we would agree with that the issue is the second part of that scripture passage in James the pollution of our hearts and our minds and our souls by the world we as Americans do not like to be told to do anything by God telling us that or by another man or woman telling us to do something we don't like that very much And so oftentimes we reject things. Our society puts out a lot of nonsense. And James warns us not to be polluted by the world. We do not take this word social justice and apply it to things that are evil. We apply it to the things of God and do the things that God has called us to do, but we do not apply it to the evil of the world. And we have all different types of daily examples in our society how this is happening. In August, I was shocked to read an account that Harvard University, a school founded 400 years ago with this model, Truth for Christ and glory to Christ, has now hired an atheist to serve as the school's head chaplain. Now, that's him on the picture. That's Greg Epstein. That's his name. Wrap your head around that for a second. How does atheism and chaplaincy go hand in hand? Wrap your head around that a little bit. I can't understand this at all. This school has 40 chaplains of different denominations, and this guy's the head honcho over all of them. He don't believe in God. How can you be a chaplain and not believe in God? He's even written a book. His book is called Good Without God, which goes against Scripture altogether because God describes our righteousness as what? filthy rags. So he rejects scripture, he rejects God, and yet this guy is the head chaplain at Harvard. Listen to what one of his students wrote. She's a divinity student at Harvard School of Theology. Her name is Mary Ellen Geis. This is what she wrote. The news that humanist chaplain Greg Epstein has been named president of Harvard University's chaplain was for many a moment to celebrate. It was not a moment for me to celebrate i'll tell you that i was filled with hurt and rage and anger and had tears and everything else connected with it it was a meaningful inclusion of an unrepresented community given that atheists agnostics and non-religious individuals are often overlooked in religious spaces well they're often overlooked because they don't believe in god they're not overlooked by the fact we want to give them the gospel, we want to present the gospel to them, but they reject it. Prominent humanist leaders marked it as a time to hold their heads a bit higher. In every way a modern chaplain does, Greg provided me with a powerful faith formation. And look what she writes next. Albeit not a faith in God. Well, how can you have a faith formation if there's no relationship with God? Rather, Greg, shaped my faith in humanity, my faith in community, my faith in the power working across lines of differences. This is the new wave of social justice. This is sin, is what this is. This is rejecting God out of hand, simply being. What God's Word says, Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a wa- there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Yeah, you may like that, and you may think that's okay, but God says it leads to destruction, it leads to death, it leads to hell. That's where it's going. God also says in Second Corinthians six fourteen, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Light is associated with God. Darkness is associated with evil. This man claims no light of God. He associates with darkness. Romans 1.22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Yeah, Harvard's a unique Ivy League school. A lot of trained individuals, a lot of smart people there, but they're fools in the eyes of God if they reject His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, what the sad part about this election to this atheist, this atheist elected to this board was the following. When I read the article, one of the individuals who was on this board who selected this guy, and he was selected unanimously, by the way, was a guy claiming to be an evangelical chaplain on Harvard's campus. This guy voted for this. So I got to ask the question: where's his backbone? Where's his relationship with God? Where's the church doing about this? Why aren't people preaching about this? And we got a divinity student who's supposed to be trained for the gospel saying how great this is. You wonder where that ministry's gonna go. We need to pray for Harvard. We need to pray for our nation when things like this happen. It's total rebellion against God and a man who denies God. We need to pray that his heart gets changed, that he accepts Christ as his Lord and Savior. So not only do we have this social justice going on with this rejection of God at Harvard, but we also have it every day in society with those who support abortion you see all these people out marching and rallying saying it's my right it's my body i can do with it whatever i want acting like they're a victim the true victims in all this are unborn children 62.5 million children have been aborted in this country since 1973 that'll break your heart i know it breaks my heart And up here on the screen behind me, you see all these dark blue lines? This represents different church groups who believe that abortion should be legal in this country. 48% of all Catholics think it should be legal. 53% of Orthodox Christians, those who are the Eastern Orthodox Church. 60% of mainline Protestants, which are the United Methodists, presbyterians the lutherans episcopalians the united church of christ the disciples of christ and american baptists 73 percent of the nuns that means that not catholic nuns but it means those who have no affiliation agnostics atheists non-religious 83 percent of jews believe that abortion should be legal evidently they don't read the prophets Evidently, they don't read their own word. And 33% of all evangelicals, which this church would be classified as, so we get a third of evangelicals saying it's okay. God values life. All life. So why are not these churches teaching the Word of God? My daughter Anna recently had to write an argumentative essay for her college. And she asked me to to proof the paper. And she told me, when I was looking at it, she told me she could not have any religious references in it. I said, why not? She said, when I met one-on-one with my professor, my professor told me that religious references were not reliable. So you're going to tell me CNN is more reliable than C.S. Lewis? You're going to tell me Newsweek is more reliable than Jesus Christ? That's where we're going in our society, folks. That's what's happening in our schools, all around our world, and in our nation. But look at what God's Word says about this. Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 the word of the lord came to me saying before i formed you in the womb i knew you before you were born i set you apart i appointed you as a prophet to the nations then isaiah forty nine one. before i was born the lord called me from my mother's womb he spoke my name you could put your own name in there. I could say, Before Aaron was born, the Lord called me. Before Mark was called, the Lord formed me. Before Robin was called, the Lord formed me. Before Mary was called, the Lord formed me. He knew me, He knew exactly who you were. And yet we have people thinking it's okay to slaughter the innocent romans 12 1 therefore i urge you brothers and sisters in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship these same churches that are for abortion that i put up here on the screen they supposedly teach about salvation in christ And they say they want God's mercy to forgive them of their sins then why are they destroying life why are they destroying life if you claim to be a new creation in christ then you offer your body to jesus don't you your body is not your own despite that argument out there if you are a christian Your body belongs to Christ. The Bible says we become a slave to Christ. Our body, our mind, our soul, it all belongs to Him. So that argument does not wash with me. God says we present our bodies, hearts, minds, soul to Him as part of our what? Our worship of Him. It's part of what we're called to do as Christians. As Christians, you are not to support the killing of children in any way in any way and if you do guess what we got blood on our hands folks we got blood on our hands jesus placed value on children if you read the entire gospel of uh, matthew you'll see that but especially matthew chapter 18 jesus says if you welcome a child in my name in matthew 18 you welcome me jesus says if you harm a child in matthew 18 it would be better that a millstone be put around your neck and you be cast into the sea you think jesus supports abortion i don't think so jesus valued life then why are churches supporting it why are pastors supporting it why are christians supporting it the Bible says you cannot serve two masters in Matthew six twenty four because you're going to love one and hate the other. You can't do it. It's a big lie to say that, well, it's just, a, it's just one little thing in our society. You know, it's a huge thing. 62.5 million children being aborted, that's a huge thing. What if you had 62.5 million people dying every day of cancer? Around the world we'd be upset wouldn't we we just seem to brush that one aside then we have this other issue in our society that people claim it's a social justice issue and they claim that they are a victim they're not a victim they're practicing open sin on a daily basis and that's those in the homosexual community who claim that same sex is all right same-sex marriage is okay Look at this statistics from churches again. 28% of evangelicals support same-sex marriage. 54% of the Eastern Orthodox. 57% of Catholics. 57% of mainline Protestants. 77% of the Jews. And 78% of those who claim no religious affiliation. God has laid out very clearly how he views marriage. Jesus said in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, that a man and woman will leave their father and mother, unite, and the two will become one. He never supports same-sex marriage in Old or New Testament. It is the huge lie of the 21st century that says Jesus loves everybody and Jesus would love a homosexual relationship. He does not. And the Bible speaks clearly about it. Look at this scripture passage. These are both New Testament scripture passages. The first one here is in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10, when Paul writes about all different types of sins in our society. And if you participate in one of these, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, talking about pedophiles, and those who dabble in porn, in the porn industry, idolaters, those who reject God, nor adulterers, those who cheat on their spouse, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. That's laid out clearly, folks. If you read the next verse, which I don't have on the screen, verse 11 there in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, and verse 11, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. In other words, some of you used to practice these sins, but guess what? You gave your heart. You gave your life. You gave your heart, soul to Jesus, and guess what happened? You were changed. You turned around and walked in a different direction and didn't practice this lifestyle anymore. If you put that out today in our, through our media, they'll say you're crazy. God says you'll be justified, you'll be sanctified, you'll be washed by His blood. Another scripture in Jude 1-7. Also remember the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the towns around them, in the same way, they were full of sexual sin and people who desired sexual relations that God does not allow. What's these sexual relations? Well, adultery, homosexuality, transgenderism, all this stuff, bisexual, whatever. He didn't allow any of that stuff. They suffer the punishment of eternal fire fire as an example for all to see. Despite what you may believe, what you've been taught in school, all this kind of stuff, if you practice this type of open sin without repentance, God says your destination is hell. God makes the majority despite what society teaches and says. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord your God. I do not change. His word does not change. His character does not change. God does not change. In 1987, two homosexuals by the name of Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madston got together and they wrote an article called the following, The Overhauling of Straight America. And they put out a four-pronged approach of what they said needed to happen for people to accept homosexuality in the United States. And here's where their four things were. First of all, homosexuals must always talk about gays and gayness as often as possible because almost any behavior will begin to look normal if you're exposed to it enough i'm watching tv the other day and here on comes a commercial and it shows two men holding hands and then these men begin to kiss in the commercial i mean i was like talk to my wife she I said, I was like man i was aggravated i was upset I was like why are they putting this on and it was primetime tv kids all around stuff. So I was like, what is going on in our society? If you've got Netflix, they've got a whole channel dedicated to all these type of things, all different types of movies around this kind of stuff. Their second point was, if we have intimidation and victimhood, these things are essential. If we make ourselves look like a victim, especially use the media to cast all homosexuals as victims, this will encourage straights to be their protector. They're not victims, folks. They're willfully putting it out there in front of the media, in front of our faces, practicing open sin without repentance. That does not make you a victim. That makes you a sinner. Third, vilification of all those who oppose the homosexual lifestyle. Make anti-gays look so nasty they'll be labeled as homophobic, bigots, and out of touch. There's been Christian athletes who have spoke out against the homosexual lifestyle and they've been suspended from sports teams because of it, because they will not buy into society's version of what things should be. Then the last point they made, paint homosexuality as love. Our motto should be love is love. How many times have you seen that shirt rolling around in our society? Do you know love can be sinful according to the Word of God? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 for people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy so lovers of self i can do whatever i want it's my body there's no restrictions god will love me anyhow not true according to the Word of God. I can love all the money I want and reject God. Not true. I can be arrogant. I can be abusive. I can be disobedient. Without repentance, their sentence is hell. So how do we corrupt America? How do you corrupt America today? It starts with the children. In public libraries across the United States, we've got drag queens hosting story hours for children. We've got drag queens reading to kids as young as three years old. And they come in there, men dressed up like women with makeup on and lurid outfits on. I read this article, this guy named Dylan Pontiff, but he goes by the name Santana Andrews, said this about his experience as a drag queen. He says, my goal in reading to the children is to groom them to support my gay agenda. It has nothing about reading the children. It's about supporting an agenda that they have put out there. When I heard that word grooming, guess what? Grooming is a tactic used by sex offenders in our society. Yet that's an environment we find ourselves in. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet, For better. where does it end transgenders claim they're neither male nor female but science says by your anatomy you're either male or a female the bible says you were created male or female but when you take a survey a day they got things like other on there and non-binary and all this other stuff i don't even understand only thing i know is i'm a male and i'm married to a female Godlessness and deviant sexuality go hand in hand. The Bible says in Romans 1, verses 21 through 25, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor they gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, Birds and animals and reptiles; therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve created things more than a Creator who is to be praised. People who claim today that they like social justice, they don't like ju- the word judgment, though. According to the Pew Research about churches, 47% of Christian millennials today say it's wrong to share their faith in Jesus. Over half of millennials today say that it's bigotry to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Over half of millennials say that to have a belief in hell is medieval. You see these bumper stickers going around, say coexist, and you've got all these different denominational things listed on them. Do you know what those things stand for? One of them actually has an emblem that stands for Wicca, which is witchcraft. Another one is Confucianism. Folks, none of those folks rose from the dead, did they? Folks, those things are evil in our society and yet we're supposed to say they're on the same plane as Christianity? It didn't work like that. God's got a different view. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes, for us to say Jesus is the only way is truth. It's not bigotry. Jesus also said in Mark 16, 15, to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to mankind. It's not wrong for us to share our faith in God. And Jesus talked more about hell of a New Testament than anybody else, and all the other ones combined. In fact, Jesus said the following. He described it as a place of eternal torment in Luke 16, 23. He described it as a place of unquenchable fire. In Mark nine, forty eight. And then in Matthew chapter twenty five, he compares believers to unbelievers, to sheep, to goats, and talked about the separation when he comes back to judge the world and what's going to happen. Those who've done what he's asked them to do through faith in him, through acceptance of him, go to heaven. Those who reject him go to hell. I don't think Jesus is a medieval. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to tell this generation that even at its best, social justice is not the gospel of Jesus. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before he went to the cross, he was praying to God the Father, and he prayed this prayer in John 17, 17, and he said, sanctify them by the truth, not only talking about his disciples, but all future Christians, all future generations. Sanctify them by the truth because what? Your word is truth. We have to hang on to this truth, folks, because if we reject God's view, what do we have left? We have a culture of atheism, a culture of non-belief. We need repentance in this country. We need heart surgery in this country. We need people on their hands and knees praying that our hearts and souls will be turned to Jesus. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Compare those two. Sin equals death. God equals life. Eternal life. And if you want that eternal life, the Bible tells us in Romans 10 there that we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. And through that profession of faith, we will be saved. Darren Roberts wrote an article called The Church Boy Who Never Grew Up. Listen to what he wrote. Nobody trusts this church boy to stand on God's word alone or to suffer for a conviction. He has no stomach to fight for Christ because his loyalty is not to Christ but to himself he will stand for truth occasionally but only when it's not too great a cost convictions that would cost him were too much for his desire because his goal was to win man's approval i can tell you today my goal up here is not to win your approval my goal up here today is to preach the word of god in power and in truth and my goal today is to have people realize they need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What's wrong with our churches today? Well, I can tell you. We've got weakness in the pulpit. We've got weakness among elders and deacons in churches. We've got weakness among all of us who claim to be Christians as we sit idly by and watch our, watch our society become ancient Rome rather than a Christian nation. We must develop a love for Christ that's greater than our love for sin. Vasily Zubkowski wrote the following, we all have crosses to bear, right? Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. But he wrote, we have crosses to bear and we're constantly trying on different ones for a good fit. Well, I don't like this cross because it's too, it's, it's too inconvenient. I don't like this cross, it might cost me something. I don't like this cross because I want to be popular. I don't like this cross because somebody might speak bad about me behind my back. Guess what? They're going to already anyhow if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God did not call you to a life of convenience. He did not call you to put your head in the sand. He has called you to stand up for Him and to fight for Him. Because with the Holy Spirit within you, we can overcome. You heard those songs that the worship team was singing about overcoming through the power of God. You heard the scripture passage that Mark read about earlier today as we began worship. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 4, for everyone born of God, guess what they do? They overcome the world. That is the victory that's overcome the world. Do you want to be a victim, or do you want to be a victor? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to quit acting like we're all victims in the United States. If we are Christians, we are victors in Jesus Christ. Let's start living like it. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word, which is truth. We give you thanks, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, which convicts us of our sins. We give you thanks, Lord, that we can stand against the snares of the evil one, that we can stand against the injustice in society, that we can stand for true social justice, to not have our hearts and our souls and our minds polluted by the world, but through Jesus Christ, we can overcome. If there be one here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they will stay, that someone will come by, pray with them, help them through this decision to accept you. Of course, in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.